0: (coughs) Welcome
1: back to our podcast within a podcast pottering around the ornament-throwing chaos agent of Mangum Reads. We are three muggles who would... Perhaps have volunteered to take the night bus. My name is Sarah. I am joined, as always, by my co-hosts B.J. and Spencer. How are you all doing?
0: Leg- legitimately surprised by where this chapter goes. Like you said, <laughs> couldn't they have just come to the front damn door? There were so many other ways this could have gone down. But instead, the most disruptive way possible. Let's try that
2: on brand. Uh, I mean, yes, this it is, is makes a very weasley thing for... to do.
0: Let's give no prior notice. Assume they've got a chimney and roll with it.
2: Well, okay. We'll get there, but... Assume they have a... It's they have How about that? Yes. Um, so, so, uh, so we're <gasps> we are discussing...
1: Yes. Sorry, I got flummoxed by... <laughs> <laughs> Chapter four.
2: Chapter back to the, f- the burrow.
1: Yes, back to the burrow. In this, the fourth book of Harry Potter, we have some segments that we do here. We have our rapid-fire recap. We have um, BJ's wizard wheezes, uh, newbies notes with Spencer and now BJ, house points... Um, And then questions, queries, qualms, and quibbles, which we're extending further and further as we go through these books, but um, we discussed a little bit off-pod that this is a little bit of a transition chapter, the Mm -hmm. madcap intermission of this first part of the book, Uh, so we'll see where exactly this episode goes um, discussing it, but we are ready, I think, to start with a recap, is that right? I think we are.
0: We are. Um, you've got your, your standard two-minute goal. Do you want to go through anything accelerated this time around?
1: Um, I, So here's here's the deal. I wrote these notes this morning and did them once, and they were a little over two minutes. But I am I am hoping that I can just do them faster because I did not feel like actually editing them this morning. So I'm gonna just go for the standard two minutes and hope it actually yes that I get that one you. point this time to meet chapters.
0: You're on vacation, you're relaxing, you're doing this on a beach with hopefully a cocktail in hand. There's no need to stress yourself. Just go for the two minutes.
1: No, this was, this was done. The bare minimum was done to prepare for this episode, guys, so buckle up. <laughs> All right.
0: Well, the cheap plastic timer is ready to go whenever you are.
1: So Harry is packed up and also ready to go with nothing else to do uh, to distract him from the Dursleys' panic about having wizards arriving on their doorstep. Vernon is losing it over the idea that the Weasleys won't be, quote, dressed properly and puts on his best suit as armor. There's another 70s diet lunch at which uh, Vernon questions Harry about the Weasleys' arrival and Harry realizes that he has no idea how they're supposed to get there, particularly given the fact that their former car is now ferally rolling along through the Forbidden Forest. Shortly before 5, they all gather in the living room to stand a nervous vigil, and the minute clo- the clock hits 5, Verna begins a tirade about the Weasleys' tardiness. Just as he gets going about their kind, however, there's a great banging from the fireplace which was boarded-, boarded up to install a fake coal something. Harried Weasley voices emerge from behind the barrier, unclear why they've brought the whole family, and there's much discussion on how to untangle this particular knot. Eventually, Mr. Weasley decides that there's only one thing for it and blasts their way out. Mr. Weasley, Fred, George, and Ron stumble, covered in in plaster, into the living room, much to Vernon and Petunia's horror. In a spurt of explanation, Mr. Weasley said he temporarily connected their fireplace to the flu network and plans to send the kids back through the fireplace, fix the living room, and disapparate. This is all a bit much for the Dursleys, particularly when coupled with Mr. Weasley's discussion of plugs dudley is particularly terrified given that the last time he encountered a wizard he ended up with a tail as mr weasley lights a fire to send the boys back with harry's luggage fred drops a bag of sweets all over the floor and gathers them up before hopping into the fireplace george follows and then ron mr weasley expects that harry would like to say goodbye to the dursleys but it's predictably awkward as harry steps into the green flames he sees dudley start choking on a new foot-long tongue there's also a toffee wrapper on the floor next to him panic ensues, Petunia's frantic, Mr. Weasley tries to help, the Dursleys don't want him anywhere near Dudley, and ward him off by throwing China knickknacks at him. In the midst of this madness, Harry steps into the flames, calls out the burrow, and swirls away in a rush of green fire.
0: Uh, one minute fifty-five, and just a couple ticks less than one fifty-six. Well done.
1: Thank you. Alright, I will I will take that. Um, so, <laughs> BJ? Yes? What are we wheezing about today?
2: Um, <clears throat> so... We are wheezing about food again.
0: <laughs> we have, okay, this is going to be now a food-related segment from here on going forward.
2: It is not, I hope. Um, I wonder if the reason that J.K. Rowling is so good about making up food in the Wizarding World is because she has never encountered food in the real world.
1: <laughs> I, what Go are,
2: on. What are you mad about this time, B.J.? Well, so cottage cheese and grated celery Mm -hmm. is completely sane until you get to the grated celery. And I'm convinced she neither knows what grating is nor what celery (laughs) is.
1: (laughs) That's true. I feel like um, cottage cheese and stalks of celery make sense. Oh, wait a second. Hold on. Someone has done this recipe on the internet. (laughs) (laughs) That looks gross. No, this is apparently a thing people do It sounds horrible. It's known as a cottage um, cheese salad in other circles oh and okay um in 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 i guess better versions of this it also has well i don't know different versions of this. It also has grated carrot, grated radish, chopped green onions, a chopped apple. this one also has ginger soy sauce, garlic, garlic
2: vinegar, and sesame oil so uh <laughs> I, I I don't again. I don't know what people are doing with their lives. That
1: it is. Uh, I mean, this is straight out of the nineteen seventies. I
2: I agree with you that so this is uh, going to back to our other podcast of uh, Mangum reads. This is where you have. A neural network that's taking ingredients from the 70s, taking methods of preparing them, and then spitting them out with, luckily this time without a a name or a title, um, a la the uh, drinks that you did for the forward collection. And it's just things and they make no sense because there's no understanding of what those ingredients are in the final dish.
1: Um, I have in my brief internet search, BJ, and I think sort of to your point, and I will have some titles for you here in a second, uh, found a June 1957 recipes for cottage cheese dishes put out by the Agricultural Extension Service of Virginia, (laughs) um, which is 38 pages long um, and includes such things as cottage cheese dips or dunks. A cranberry blizzard, which presumably includes cottage cheese. we
0: just stop including cottage cheese? What? Is that an option?
1: A, there are a number of cottage cheese sandwiches, which, or salads, I'm sorry, oh. which I assume include grated celery in them in some way, shape, or form. Um, we have many main dishes made out of cottage cheese, which is something I had never contemplated in the world, uh, including <laughs> curried cottage cheese and eggs in rice nests. Interesting. Yeah, so i I think that um, I think that Petunia might be um rehashing her fifties childhood.
2: Yeah, or something. And so the other thing that is a thing is people grading celery root. Sure. Um, and and this is sort of where I have this feeling that J.K. Rowling doesn't actually know what celery is versus celery root, maybe, and or doesn't well, understand what grating would do to it, which is perfectly fine as long as you haven't like lived amongst Western society. Well, so which, I, would,
1: I would agree with you because that sounds crazy and it sounds disgusting. I'm just saying that this is a thing that other people do in the world. Like, it's not yeah, an unknown thing.
2: I, I agree, but a lot of this seems to be coming out of la like very uh, much more modern food revolution of what can we make into small bits and pretend is um other things like uh cauliflower pizza and stuff like that and the people that are very excitedly cooking everything that's in Harry Potter and are confused
1: okay i'm going to i'm going to the cottage cheese salad in this <laughs> in this pamphlet is it a pamphlet if it's Thirty-eight I don't know, pages,
2: but, but we will find out soon. But but those are most oh of my. I have wheezed my wizardly ways, and now I think newbie's notes. While we figure out what the cottage cheese salad was, was from the fifties.
1: I am. I have to walk. Yeah, go ahead. No, please. I, um, one of these has not. Is it's a two-decker salad um, that has a lime layer and a tomato layer. Oh,
2: Wait, uh, is this the cottage cheese and shredded celery salad, or is this just a salad within the recipe book?
1: It's within the recipe book. I'm trying to find one that actually okay. has grated celery in it. This one has chopped celery leaves in it, but this is absolutely insane. I am sorry to derail this episode.
0: <laughs> I have to wonder, with old recipe books like this, were they ever necessarily meant to be taken seriously, or was this like originally published like the, with like the book where the guy originally made up how many spiders people eat at night, which was meant to be purposely a made-up statistic that then people just ran with and believed for years afterwards.
2: So there are a couple of things, I think, associated with uh, recipes in old recipe books. Um, One of those things is what's available or what has now become available much more commonly. What do you need to use up? And then there are weird fads uh, like making
1: jellos oh literally every of every one of these cottage cheese salad recipes has gelatin in them
0: so fucking 50s uh
1: yeah
2: so so there are things like that that just sort of come as a um there are a lot of things that happened in uh wars that moved certain uh, food things to the forefront, or were coupon books or uh and and in particular spam uh, completely shifted uh native cuisine in, in like Hawaii, Vietnam, and so korea so. Yeah. Um, so so yeah like definitely stuff like that and and it 's always interesting to trace but i I now kind of want to know what j k Rowling ate when she was growing up because. Uh, Either she didn't eat, and this is just the product of like an AI neural network, or (laughs) she had a very like, somebody just flipped two random things in a cookbook, didn't address what was going in it and just made it.
1: Yeah, it seems like this apple celery cottage cheese, some variation of that with the grated celery Mm -hmm. is how most people actually, and I say most people, if one is going to have grated celery with their cottage cheese. That seems to be how it's done.
0: When I read that line, I couldn't even fully process it because it's literally <laughs> a thought combination that had never crossed my brain path. Just never even come near it. Because A, I don't even like cottage cheese or celery. So the idea of to going, well, how can I improve this cottage cheese? I know the greatest flavor enhancer possible, grated celery, just never factors into my consciousness.
1: This really was set up for a, this doesn't look like anything to me for you, Spencer. <laughs> yes,
0: th- this is my realization that I am in Westworld, cottage cheese and grated celery. Well, uh, returning to Newbie's Notes, it's fun that we apparently feel the need to do another recap to start this chapter. Didn't have enough recap in the last two. This
1: one is Literally particularly none. about the, the magical objects that Harry has uh, gathered to himself over the course of the previous three books.
0: It, it's almost like he it's. It's almost like he's become—he's starting to become self-aware that he's the hero of the story, and he's grabbing all of his powerful magical artifacts that he's put together previously on his journey so he can continue his epic quest.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So, and but
2: It feels like that, but it, it, there's also the just, like, I need to, like, hoard all of my things so the Dursleys don't find it, like, overtone to this, which it's a weird way to do the overtone of, like, the the point of what he's doing rather than just be, like... I need to make sure that there's nothing magical here. So like there isn't like continued friction when I am here, which to me is like what was intended to be communicated. Mm -hmm. But otherwise it's just like, here are all the overpowered things that I have that I'm never gonna use because I'm Harry the wizard.
0: Now, 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 this is actually a moment where I was kind of hopeful for it before. We have consistently complained in prior books that he was not using powerful magical item when he should have been using powerful magical item. So the fact that he's at least leaving while he's checking his wallet and his cell phone that he's got all of these things on him is a sign that he's learning. Mm-hmm. Making sure that he's got the uber-powerful mm-hmm. game story-breaking magical items with him to inevitably lose at key moments so he doesn't continue to break the story. But, you know, we'll come to those when we get to... <laughs> at least he's checking to make sure they're on hand.
2: Yes, that is true. Um, we also just have, like, the insane weirdness of... Uh, A wizard, uh, whenever a wizard arrives, he's on time because he's a wizard arriving kind of thing going on. (laughs) But also, the other side of it is, like, there's no reason they should be late other than they are who they are. Like, I I guess it's like, I don't know where we're going here um, in in terms of, like, they're arriving
0: late. This is one of those things where Gandalf can pull off that line. The Weasleys can't or would never even try to pull off that line about a wizard is never late, he arrives just what he wants to. No, the Weasleys are just by their nature late people. I, I, if I could bet on any family we've met so far always being late to everything they go to, Weasleys ranking high on that list. Yes. Partly just from like a coordination standpoint. That's a lot of kids to herd in any one direction.
2: And uh, my presumption is that the reason that people aren't allowed time turners is something the Weasleys did. <laughs>
1: That's probably fair enough. I think if we went far enough back in the history books, it would be um, some Archibald Weasley who has fucked up the time loop.
2: And and literally just like tried to arrive on time once and just kept going back to that one 2 tea that he was invited to 500 times because he oh, still couldn't make it. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I'm perfectly willing to believe that Arthur Weasley works for the Ministry of Magic as basically an indentured serfdom to pay off the sins of his forefathers <laughs> based on what things they've done to fuck up the time continuum. But uh, yeah, it's a, utterly unsurprising that the Weasleys show up late. Um, however, one thing we really do emphasize in this chapter, that to a certain degree the Dursleys' prejudices associated with the world, magical world have maybe a certain element of justification for them. <laughs> that we kind of get a summary here of all the ways they've just been really messed with in the past and yeah when they're all kind of laid out together they're pretty messed up really Dudley was physically transformed not what not just once in the past in a way that required painful surgery that he's still traumatized about here his tongue becomes the length of a friggin' python in a way that he's choking on and struggling to breathe and it's a scene that you know. It's comic in a way that if these were Looney Tune characters, sure, we can laugh about it. But I'm gonna really be curious to see if I can view this in live action as anything other than horrifying.
1: Yeah, I mean, this Girl is man. like very, very reminiscent of. Um, oh gosh, what was her name? The the Vernon's sister, Marge, Aunt Marge, at the beginning oh, yeah, of okay. the last cha- of the last book. We like mm-hmm. we and are getting inc- up like a yeah, increasingly, yeah, increasingly grotesque in what happens to the Dursleys as a direct result of um, their tangential connection to the magical world.
0: Yeah, and I feel like this is purposeful slapstick, just to you know to appeal to the young readers because it can be funny in that regard, in the same kind of cartoon kind of mindset. I think J.K. Rowling finds this just stuff absolutely hilarious, mm-hmm. but me looking at this is like. I have a certain undercurrent of horror attached to this. I can't disassociate enough from the Dursleys to just not feel how utterly terrifying that would be to have people with the powers of God show up in your house and accidentally mutilate your family. And
2: That's also how kind of intimidating. PTSD that, that Dudley clearly has walking around like holding his butt. And Which I they
0: find hilarious.
2: <laughs> and it's like, I, you know, I get that this is supposed to be very funny And, you know, there's nothing funnier than somebody holding their butt apparently, but it's also just a, well, this is a very weird thing to be going on that the narrator has to point out like five times during the chapter, how, how much mental anguish Dudley has clearly gone under.
0: It, this is adding to your theory about Harry Potter ultimately being the bully of this storytelling in retrospect, because, you know, him and is it, is it him and George or him and Fred just see this and just start, you know, trying to just cover up their laughter, Is this is the funniest thing possible, as this deeply emotionally disturbed child is just, you know reflecting on the pains of the past that you've casually inflicted upon him
2: it, you know it then ends up being the question is is the reason that Harry's under the stairs because he wasn't he would just like inflict all sorts of magic pain upon the Dursleys <laughs> that have them traumatized and they're just like well we don't know what to do we have nowhere to go with this but as long as we hide this this world breaking thing under our stairs we are not constantly in fear of, of incredible trauma of cornfield <laughs> yeah
0: I mean, it, it. I mean, they've even give, they've even tried to bribe him with a bedroom now, so that he won't, you know, send them to the cornfield to turn them into Jack in the Boxes, you know, uh, Twilight Zone style. Uh, throw in also, you know, we've got increasing a number and variety of property damage. I mean, I forgot, I even forgotten they basically blew out a window of the house when they, you know, helped Harry get out of the place a couple of book ago. Now they've just utterly destroyed the main pristine den in a way that we have Arthur Weasley reassuring them that he's going to fix, but. Given that they end the story throwing throwing pottery at him, I'm inclined to think he's probably just going to peace out here soon. Uh, we also have Harry continually threatening them with the idea that he has a murderous uncle on the loose that he could just bring to bear on them if ever he doesn't get his way. From a certain perspective, the Dursleys are kind of in hell. I mean, they there's an element of they deserve it. This is a hell that they've earned through their own bad and evil decision-making. But if they were just, you know, more normal rather than cartoonishly distorted people... This would be a very different tenor of a story for what they're going through.
1: Well, if they were more Uh, normal instead of cartoonishly (laughs) distorted people, this this would not be happening to them.
0: If someone wanted to retell this story from the perspective of the Dursleys and they were much more, you know, normal British or American family, Mm -hmm. this could be a really effective horror story if they wanted to. Sure. This could be a
1: hell of a thriller. Their adopted nephew is possessed.
2: Yeah, makes yeah. things random. Things disappear when they're out in public. puts them in puts putting them in incredibly dangerous situations, like at the mm-hmm. zoo. Um, causes random incredible amounts of property damage.
0: Um, yeah, we we throw in a couple suicides and a beheading, and we've got the kid from the Omen is living in their house. Uh, moving on from that dark and disturbing. Yeah, spot. this is. Uh, yeah,
1: this has been a fun thought experiment. Now let's go back to. <laughs>
0: Protect sarah's childhood from, from, from further harm uh, flu travel dear god weasleys come on you have some exposure with the muggle world and you thought flu travel would be the best way to do this you already sent a letter because you were concerned about how they would react and you've just taken their tacit approval to going okay perfectly fine with no prior warning that i burst out of their kit burst out of their fireplace in a gout of flame
2: yeah. Uh. I also wonder at what age children start watching the Harry Potter movies because I, I want to have, like, the overlap of a child that believes in Santa and watches <laughs> this movie where they can't get through the fireplace because it's covered up. I mean, and put two and two together.
1: I think that, like, children who live in houses with, um, Oh, like those big, I've forgotten what they're called, but those big, like, black stoves yeah. have a lot of concerns about what is going to happen to Santa in the, in the interim. Yes.
0: Yeah, if they'd simultaneously read The Three Little Pigs and then hear about Santa, they're having a rough time conceptualizing what's about to happen on Christmas Day.
2: <laughs> Very
0: possibly. Um, one thing that is really nice about the scene is, again, just to see Arthur Weasley, is while a weird dude... His irrepressible curiosity is just adorable. (laughs) It's just inherently adhering.
2: Well, so is he curious though? Or does he like curios? I guess I, I interpret it as more as like, he has absolutely no curiosity about the muggle world, except for curios. Like it's not a, I want to know how things work, or I'm not willing to pay attention long enough to find out how things work. But these are the most fun toys to play with for like 30 minutes.
0: I think we just des- we, des- we described his curiosity in a prior book as being colonial British curiosity of just yeah. finding cool shit and sending it back to the British Museum with no yeah.
1: label. Yeah, he does specifically um, reference his collection of electric plugs.
2: Right. And clearly the electric plugs aren't attached to anything. So he's presumably probably going into like muggle houses and like snipping off the plugs and then like labeling in detail, like there- one 40 year old, you know, female... Plug attached to something I couldn't identify.
1: They're pinned obtained. in a shadow box with. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> I mean, his lack of understanding gets to the degree that he he never uses the word electricity, despite the fact it's told to him several times. What what words does he use? I think, I think he says eclectic the first time.
2: Yeah. He, he he metaphysized the instead of electricity, it's echlectricity.
0: Yeah, the the two that he uses at different moments. Um, so yeah. He's fascinated, he finds them delightful collector items that I'm sure he shows to every person that he could otherwise swear to silence when they enter his home, but understanding? No, no, he doesn't have the time for that. No wizard has the time to invest in understanding things outside of a very limited collection of topics, and this is clearly outside that.
2: How long do you think it took him to learn that you can't put like butterfly pins through batteries without... them like oozing something painful that he doesn't understand
0: oh you when he found out that they did that he did that another 500 times afterwards because that was just so fascinating (laughs) chemical reactions that aren't associated with potions amazing
2: i Uh, I bet he like uh sent a letter to whoever was teaching potions at the time like completely befuddled as to what was in the batteries that he was accidentally opening (laughs) with by stabbing them with uh pins
0: I, I am sure that he tried to have a, pub, a paper published that the Muggles have been secretly practic- practicing magic the entire time. They've just very effectively hidden it from the Wizarding World. <laughs> it's Like, I have clear evidence now of concentrated potions surrounded by metal. Uh, one thing that I do love about this, though, is that not only do we have his irrepressible curiosity, which is just downright childlike in how it works, but we also have clear demonstration of he's such a kind soul, he can't even conceptualize being impolite. That yes. That he immediately makes active efforts to, you know, he knows that it's, uh, it's uncomfortable. This is, he views it as rude, probably more than, like, property destructive and horrifying that he arrived as he did without, you know, notice in an awkward way. And he immediately tries to broach a conversation, and establish common ground. And when things are exiting and they kind of just don't even say goodbye to Harry, he immediately stops the conversation under the assumption that they missed the opportunity that they intended to do the naturally good, polite thing. Little does he know. (laughs) It's like he can't even accept the possibility that they just hate the kid and are purposely being rude. He's too good of a soul to ever accept that somebody could be operating at that level.
2: I see. I I guess I couldn't tell if it was that or he kind of knew what was going on and was shaming them into it. Because he's been to Hogwarts and there are Slytherins there. So he knows what just cruelty is going to be like.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know, I, mean, I was... read this, I think I read this with you, Spencer, that like he cannot, it does not enter into his brain that these people who are charged with essentially being parents to Harry could just send him off without even saying, like, it, it, that doesn't compute. I don't, I don't get any hint that he's, that he has any idea what's going on, what's really going on in the situation at all.
0: Yeah, the, the line here, unless he's being like, you know, an actor, which I don't think we've seen, we've seen this level of hiding his true intent that he refers to it as he was looking at the Dursleys in amazement. Mm-hmm. This this doesn't seem like a guy that's purposely trying to, you know, shame them. This seems like a guy that's legitimately flabbergasted at this level of lack of decor. Like, he's endured, you know, mem- uh, member, um, members of the uh, uh, Malfoy family. Mm-hmm. He knows about them. They're dyed-in-the-wool just evil. He had no reason to assume that these people were, and I imagine he's just greeting every person as being a good, kind soul the same way he is, unless he's got plain Malfoy evidence to the contrary.
2: So I think it shifts because initially he's just amazed. And then it describes that he's mildly indignant. And there's this clear, at least understanding from uncle Vernon that he's holding his wand and you better say goodbye to your, your nephew. Like, I think it, I think it kind of starts out that way, but he is aware. And then there's that shift. And I guess I appreciate that. That's what I read into it, and that's sort of what I hope is in this character as opposed to just completely unaware. Yeah, just a complete doofus.
0: Yeah, it's definitely possible. I'd be really curious to know that if Vernon hadn't said goodbye, if he'd just, you know, stiff upper lip just stared him down, I don't know what Arthur Weasley would have done. I don't know if he would have known what he would have done, because this would have been such in breach of, any of the rules that, about which he governs himself.
1: I think that this goes back like, essentially to what happened in the last chapter, too, where Vernon has this like, deep, deep-seated moral conundrum about like does, does he want to continue down this track of like what he feels deep in his soul is um, necessary to do, or does he prefer to just have Arthur Weasley out of his house? yeah
0: <laughs> the, the twin poles of his consciousness are in constant war to make this work uh one one last thing about uncle burden i did i will note vile person that he is throughout this scene his primary interest is actually protecting aunt petunia that he is he caught her when she was about to fall and throughout the entire scene he is actually sheltering her, sheltering her behind him and trying to get her out of the room you know points in credit you are a vile disastrous example of a human being But he does have loved ones, and he is trying to protect them from what he basically assumes is people that may actively murder him if he doesn't say the right thing or get him out of his home quickly. So, you know, points to your credit. I'm not going to give you many of those over the course of this story, I'm sure, but there's one for you.
1: And that does actually seem like growth from the first book, right? Where Vernon was just like dragging everyone willy-nilly without any real um, concern for their well-being, other than to get these letters to stop coming mm-hmm.
2: right that's, that's, and that's I, I think we've had some change from wizarding world impacting in uh inconvenient ways to uh impactful ways
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. well that is all i have i mean this, this was a relatively short chapter as is but this was a very much action focused chapter mm-hmm. and action focused mm-hmm. chapters less to say about them. I'm sure this would be a great slapstick to watch on the screen, but in terms of just like you know deeper theories or foreshadowing for the future, that was not the point of this chapter.
2: Yeah, and I do want to mention something that we talked about last episode was the last chapter basically ended on, hey, do you remember the Dark Lord? And we yeah. didn't get any of that. And so I think it's an interesting choice, uh, it, but it, one that we should at least make a nod to.
0: We, we talked about before that it may be a demonstration of the fact that the chosen the primary audience is growing up she can foreshadow chapters in advance and still count on them remembering vaguely enough that it'll trigger something when the time comes so house points
1: house points
0: yeah <laughs> you you've got more characters to work with this time yeah and i will um, say that action packed chapters houses.
1: do um lend a little bit more to someone losing <laughs> Or winning uh, in the chapter uh, but yeah I do we have the rare um, Venn diagram of the Weasleys and the Dursleys in this chapter
0: I don't imagine we're gonna see that many times again in the future it's
1: it's, it's infrequent we'll say um, you know I think I, I might have had different thoughts before we began this conversation but ultimate loser I want to start with loser of this chapter poor and I will not say this frequently either poor Dudley <laughs>
0: Never thought those words would leave your mouth, did you? No, but, I mean,
1: like, clear PTSD. Um
0: you guys had a rough road is really, if you really look at this, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah, clear
1: PTSD. And he actually, like, contrary to many of our interactions with Dudley, he actually didn't do anything wrong this chapter. Like, he was just sort of there.
0: The closest thing he got to, you know, stepping out of bounds was he ate a treat that somebody dropped on the floor. Which,
1: to be fair, That's you should not do. Um, however, he's hungry. He's a hungry boy. and <laughs> yeah, He's literally starving. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, like, he really, this particular chapter, he did nothing to deserve. Um, the horrors that befell him. Um, a winner of the chapter... You know Harry got out but like Harry was essentially a sort of um, just an observer in this chapter (laughs) this chapter was Mm -hmm. not about Harry at all so I'm actually gonna give winner of this chapter it's going to be split in ways that only these two characters can split their prize Uh, Fred and George (laughs) (laughs) had a pretty good time in the world and you know as this will be a slight spoiler to the beginning of the next chapter um, but that toffee was left on purpose (laughs) Um,
0: yeah I was going that was that was actually my second question I was going to ask you glad to know. Yes and uh
1: so their their um aims and goals and expectations were were met in full force as we find out very early in the next chapter so I don't feel too bad spoiling it. Um so their their actions have have brought them victory in this chapter and in fact won them house points.
0: <laughs> well good for them. Yes.
1: <laughs> uh questions.
0: Uh Is this the first time we've ever heard there being a fixed registered have to connect flu network for how that works?
1: Yes, this is the first time we've heard about that. Um, I think, you know, the other time that we've encountered the flu network was uh, in the second book, third book, third book, um, second book, I'm sorry. And, you know, that was when all of the Weasleys and Harry were going from the borough into Diagon Alley to do their school shopping. I think that that one was a little bit enough of a shock to Harry's system that he didn't need to know about the regulatory um, requirements (laughs) of the flu network itself. But come to find out, and we actually learn more about this and see more about this in um, later chapters and later books, the flu network, as you might imagine, is actually heavily um, monitored by the Ministry of Magic.
2: That's unsurprising. Did you, uh did you so, say that's unsurprising
1: yes yeah yeah, yeah i w- I would find
0: it far more surprising if it wasn't yeah. I mean I'm curious just to follow up to what degree do can a person control access to their own flu?
1: you mean like whether someone just kind of random can come in and yeah Spencer's worriedified to and worried e.
0: <laughs> Yeah, can, can, I, can I effectively set a lock or require a password for someone to gain access? Or it's it's like the network?
2: cell phone do not call list. Like, it's there, but, eh, you know, how valid it really is and how well it really works. You know, it's the
0: flu um, files. Can, can I file a CPA lawsuit if someone tries to access my flu when I previously
1: said they can't? I think, as in many things in this book, we are functioning on gentlemen's agreements. Oh, damn it.
2: <laughs> um,
0: Sorry, I interrupted you, BJ. Go ahead.
2: Oh no, no worries. Uh, so, I have a question that I don't expect you to answer about flus, which is: Is flu travel instantaneous? And if so, does it create relativistic problems? <laughs> um, but I actually wanted you to refresh my memory about the Marauders map because I va- I thought I remembered Snape getting his hands on it mm. and then it was like lost. But
1: what was the what was the chain of evidence going? <laughs> with the marauders yeah map.
2: like how uh, how and why does harry have the marauders yes. map again yes
1: um so in the last book harry gets discovered in the middle of the night or sorry discovered coming back from one of his clandestine trips to hogsmeade by snape he has the marauders map in his pocket um although it is it is thankfully wiped clean it is a blank piece of parchment at that point um snape i can't remember if he calls lupin or if he
2: Oh, that's right. Lupin gives it back. But
1: Yeah, so Lupin Lupin essentially confiscates the map, um, saying that it, as Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher, it is his purview. When he leaves the school at the end of the book, um, he, in his last meeting with Harry, gives it back to him, saying essentially that because he is no longer his teacher, he doesn't feel any moral compunction about him having this <laughs> anymore. <laughs>
2: gotcha. Okay. <laughs> Which is
1: a very... Um, yeah, it is. It is a loop and loophole, you might say.
2: Har har har. Gotcha. So he does.
1: Harry does, in fact, have the Marauder's Map in his possession again, um, uh, with okay. none of presumably none of the authorities at school really knowing that he has it. Although you know what Dumbledore knows Dumbledore. and does not know.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. Oh, I'm sorry, Snape. The- Snape
1: knows because Snape used the Marauder's Map to follow them to the Whomping Willow. Um, So Snape might not know that he specifically has it, that Lupin gave it back to him, although I think he could assume that, but Snape does know what it does.
2: Right. Interesting. So I guess the the sort of follow-up I had to that is, um, I guess I had this sense that magical artifacts were traceable to a certain extent, at least. Mm -hmm. Um, But the question then I want to ask is, are magical effects... Paid attention to by the Ministry of Magic, or is it just magic being done by wizards, like in the moment?
1: Um, there are some. Mm, there's not like. Because a...
2: feeding Muggles, yeah, wizard food, seems like <laughs> that should be under the purview of the Ministry of Magic, much more so than uh, one of them practicing uh, leviosa. Yeah. At. At home in like their own room.
1: Well, it gets so tricky because like what you in effect end up with is this restriction for the use of underage magic, it disproportionately affects muggle-born wizards because like what it what it seems like is that in a family like the Weasleys, where you have a bunch of um, a bunch of wizards, witches and wizards living together, many of whom are of age. And are legally allowed to practice magic outside of school it becomes like there's a lot of noise on the CB radio about who's doing what when and you can't really as we will find out there is a lot of um, underage magic that is happening in that household that nobody seems to be able to really keep track of so I I don't really know how these tracers work
2: (laughs) so so in true British society, there's a caste system that. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, um, I will say gotcha. though that kind of to your original question, I think that there are some um, magical items and artifacts that are kept track of in certain mm-hmm. ways, although not like not in the direct way that we kind of saw with the restriction for underage magic. Um, yeah, but you know as we have seen in a lot of different scenarios you've got a lot of people just moving around doing make, creating these artifacts under the radar anyway so they never entered into the official system like the unregistered um in from the last book as well
2: gotcha spencer
0: uh okay in terms of what we see the weasleys engage in in this chapter how many laws did they break and were arthur weasley basically not the guy in charge of enforcing any of those laws what would the repercussions
1: have been? Um, so I will direct you, Spencer, to the beginning of the next chapter, where there is um, some level of Weasley fury directed at Fred and George for these actions.
0: Gotcha. I can. Yes. Work.
1: Um, I don't know that we get specifically like what you know what particular laws they might be breaking, but there is. A lot, there is some discussion, not unlike with the flying Ford Anglia of like, you know what your father's position is. Can you imagine what would happen if it, if this got out?
0: I mean, even beyond that, in terms of like unlicensed flu travel to a muggle home,
1: guessing... Well, it's licensed.
0: Well, yes. it wasn't supposed to be. It was a friend of a friend that got that done.
2: Yes, but that's how British government works as far as <laughs> so I know So this
0: understand. is like
1: standard, so... standard operating procedure.
2: Right, it's technically on the books because my buddy's buddy owed me a favor, and so it's now written there in time immemorial that like you can just show up at the Dursleys today.
0: <laughs> yeah, yes, I understand that the civil service was basically god is basically god in this version of the British world, and anything can be done just based on a, a, a polite word and a close connection. But again, basis of my question was assuming Arthur Weasley wasn't the civil service that ran all this shit. That, again, would be a rather illegal act that would have its problems, right? I mean, he seemed like it was not fully kosher that he was doing this. Yes.
1: Unclear that he, like, actually would have been, like, magically capable of doing that either, right? Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know that... I, I don't know that wizards who are not part of that kind of flu regulatory... flu network regulatory board, or however it is that they're running it even know how to connect some sort of fireplace to the network i don't i don't know Um, it seemed like he had to get somebody else to do it
2: so i think the book that you want to reference is muggles and magisters (laughs) uh the the wizarding code as as it pertains to muggles written in 1835 with updates in 1902 1943 and most recently in 1987 um, unfortunately, not all code. The code is uh, again being compiled into a new edition, hopefully being written up shortly.
0: Yeah, and sadly, it's not been placed on Westlaw yet, so my ability to search through it is extremely limited in a way that fully dissatisfies me.
1: <laughs> I'm still waiting for you to get that uh, law fellowship. To... <laughs> <laughs> I,
0: I could probably get grant money to do that, but I just, I just need to ask.
1: Um, other questions?
2: Um, is there CLE for the do, Ministry do, of Magic do, do, to keep up to date?
0: Question. Yes, I'm sure there is. Yes. <laughs> Everything is a freaking CLE when it comes to the law.
1: There we go. Other questions?
0: Uh, that's all I have. Like I said, pretty short chapter. Yes. Um,
1: so- yeah. Uh, it, uh,
2: is there... A fix that, like, can reasonably happen. Like, because we do have some information about Molly Weasley basically being able to, like, take care of house with magic. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't really seem something that uh, Mr. Weasley has at his fingertips. Like a whole bunch of practice on. Right. So is this more like a memory charm and (laughs) uh, (laughs) light reflected (laughs) off of Venus and hit a uh weather balloon and that's what you saw back there kind of thing going on
1: (laughs) it might have been a lightning strike coming down into the chimney through faulty wiring and there was a an explosion yeah um
2: i don't know i and you know you're gonna visit your sister up in uh leads for for a bit while, while decorators come in and change this stuff around.
1: I would imagine I can't remember if Mr. Weasley explains actually what happens after he left, um but I would imagine that he did like a very cursory like Reparo uh and then yeah. got the hell out of there. <laughs>
0: oh, the portable poor ceramic dog's got a leg where it's Yeah, It would be hilarious if he tried to do that Men in Black memory wipe because he doesn't know enough about the muggle world to provide anything resembling a coherent story. Oh, God, no. Where they're they're going to be telling the police that, well, yeah, the ejectory came alive and tried to eat the fireplace, <laughs> and that's the story they're going with.
1: Oh, boy. All right, well, next time around we have, BJ, I'm actually very excited about this for you because we finally get <laughs> the I Weasley's have. Wizard Wheezes. Moment um,
0: has finally come, which we have um, been referencing with
1: only me knowing what that means for three and for quite a, bit a while now. now yes, um,
2: I, I am kind of curious what wheezing has to do with tables being up in the air, but uh, we'll wait till next time to find out.
1: Sounds good. Well, this has been fun, y'all. Till next time.